so excited to be here with you guys. So excited to share from the Word of God. Let me actually take you farther back here. 1985. Everybody remember that one? Okay. 1985. Here's what was going on with my life. It was kind of a tough year. My family moved. Uh, I was in fourth grade, and we moved from Missouri. Anybody live in misery at one point? Yeah. So we moved from Missouri. That was the good part, leaving there. Um, but we went to just outside of Boston, a little town called Walpole, Massachusetts. And a fourth grader, I mean, kind of the, the only thing that matters as a fourth grader is, is figuring out how do I get people to like me. Uh, that's kind of the rest of life, too, until you find your identity in Christ. But anyways, so here I am as a fourth grader running around this new school, just transitioned, trying to figure out who's going to like me. So, you know, you're teasing the girls on the playground, and you're racing the, kid, the guys, and you're just trying to get popular. And I found out real quick that there was a unique venue that was going to give me an opportunity to be like skyrocket the scale of popularity instantly. And that venue I discovered was called Show and Tell. Now, I'm used to like kindergarten as Show and Tell, but for some reason this school every week, us fourth graders, we did Show and Tell. And I'm like, all right, I can dominate this. Here's why I could dominate this. My father had a job like no one else's dad. You see, we moved from Missouri to Massachusetts because my dad got hired onto the coaching staff of the New England Patriots. So that was a big deal. So, so I had access to things to bring to show and tell that no one else could provide. So here I am, a little, you know, fourth, year, fourth grader, walking through the locker room, just borrowing stuff. We'll just say that, just borrowing stuff from the star players. So I'd show up at show and tell with like a, you know, a soaking wet wristband from the game, of, you know, Sunday's game before from the star receiver. And the kid, ooh, you know, everybody's looking at that. Next week, I'd come with the mouthpiece, like drool still on it from the starting quarterback, dangling that. I mean, nobody could touch that. I mean, I instantly, we had teachers from other classrooms coming in just to see what Chris Shinnick was going to bring in for show and tell. I know I took it a little bit too far. After a few weeks of this, I started kind of holding like lunchroom auctions, selling this stuff off. And, you know, obviously the principal found out. Parents were calling in. Why does my son have no lunch money and three used mouthpieces? What is this all about? So eventually my dad found out that wasn't very good. Uh, it was worse when my mom found out. Believe it or not, anybody have that house? But anyways, so mom found out I was kicked out of the locker room. They put my sign out. I was, I think, the youngest person to ever be like kicked out of an NFL locker room. But Anyways, made it all right. So here's what I decided to do after I couldn't continue to retrieve amazing items and, and then go to show and tell. I, I got the idea of what if I just show up at show and tell and just tell. Okay, so I tried that the first week. I guess here's what I would have gotten, but I couldn't get it because you heard the story. I got caught and I told them about a cool sticker decal that I would take off or a cool cleat that I would have grabbed. And I told them and they just looked at me no, that's not how it works. I tried it the next week. No, I'm serious. I would have got the cleat from the winning touchdown, from the running back, and here's what I would have. And they looked at me like, no. After the third week of me just telling and not showing, they kind of looked at me kind of like, you're looking at me now. Like, that's not how this works, right? Because again, when it comes to show and tell, if you've got nothing to show, then it doesn't really matter what you have to tell. And when I think about our lives as a representation of the gospel, I kind of feel like the, the world looks at the church, not all the time, but every now and then, kind of like my fourth grade peers looked at me at the end of that story, where we got a lot to say, but not much to, to show. A lot of talk, not much walk. And, and when you look at Jesus, and really the, 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 the proclamation early on in the game you look at the Gospels, right out of the gate, what's Jesus doing? He's talking about this 
Good news of the kingdom. He's, that's his number one message. Good news of the kingdom. Good news of the kingdom. But he's never just talking about it. Matter of fact, he's never just talking about it and, and then doing something. It's almost always where he's showing something and then he's telling about what just happened. There's always a, a demonstration prior to the proclamation. And it's as if the proclamation is an explanation <laughs> of what they just experienced all over the place. That's what Jesus is doing over and over. As a matter of fact, he, he even couples it this way. He says, look, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Always a both end, always a show and tell. And I believe that's the message that we're called to walk in. When you think about it, what does it look like to have a manifestation of the kingdom of of God. What does this reality really look like? Now, his original audience, maybe you're not sure what the kingdom of God is. His original audience would have understood very quickly, you need three things for a kingdom to be present. Obviously, you got to have a king, all right? And we got a pretty good one. Secondly, you got to have royal or loyal subjects. You got to have disciples that are following the, the rule of that king. But for a kingdom to truly be present, what you need first, what you really need is, is this thing called rain. <laughs> not like what's outside, not precipitation, but again, you need an indication. You need a demonstration. You need a, a manifestation of that king's rule and reign both in your life, and ideally, if it's a good king and you're a loyal follower, there'll be a transformation in your life and through your life. And everywhere those loyal subjects go, the king's rule and reign will be present. So when Jesus talked about the kingdom, everybody thought, oh, okay, king, followers, and reign. And really that's what, but basically, in, in, in a nutshell, the kingdom is anywhere that the king has his way. If the king's getting his way, then that's where the kingdom is. And as followers of the king, that's really what it means for our lives. If he gets his way in our lives and through our lives, then his kingdom reign is there. Now, I used to read about the kingdom of God just early on reading scripture. I would think the kingdom always meant then and there, meaning heaven. But, but I think if you read your Bible a little bit clearer, you, think, you say, Jesus, he isn't just talking about the place of heaven then. He's talking about the way of heaven now. Like actually something's manifesting right here and right now. And as the church, we actually reside in that, that tension between the already established or already started kingdom that Jesus brought to planet earth and the fully consummated kingdom that will come one day when he officially takes the throne again, when he returns. And that's the tension. We are that uh, eschatological reality on planet earth. That's who the church is right now. We're to be a, a, the beachhead for that. We're the sign and the foretaste of what's to come. And what are we called to do? We're called to reach ahead to that fully consummated kingdom as often as we can and bring back glimpses of what it really looks like when Jesus has his way in people's lives and really in communities as well. I love you guys' kind of tagline there, transforming lives, transforming communities. That's what the kingdom of God is all about, both in us and through us. That's the name of the game for the church on this planet, on our watch until Jesus comes back. And as the church, that's where we're at. Jesus, of course, in the Gospels, he would always be demonstrating this. You'd see this through signs and wonders and, and healings. It wouldn't just be the amazing stuff like that. You'd see it in his teachings. 
just countercultural examples. He'd call out somebody that everyone else was ignoring. He'd reach out and touch the untouchable and, and heal them. He'd show compassion to no one where no one else was. I mean, he's just flipping it constantly. The last shall be first. The first, I mean, just always talking about it, always bringing expressions of the kingdom. Then he raised up 12 guys and sent them out to do the same. And then we get this unique passage that we're going to look at today. As far as I can tell, it's the, it's the only passage like this in, in the entire Bible where there's this um, just huge number of people being sent out and equipped by Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. It's as if Luke is kind of giving us a foreshadowing of his, the next book he writes, the book of Acts, and in chapter 15 where really the, the, the Gospel just goes viral, but it's kind of like a, a precursor to that here in Luke chapter 10, and he sends them out again with this same mission, show people the kingdom, and then tell them about the king. And I believe that's, as a church planner, gearing up to in, enter into a community and sow the seeds of the gospel. What are we called to do? We're called to show people the kingdom and then tell them about the king. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to get through all 20 verses, the first 20 verses in that chapter. And uh, probably be out of here. By tonight, should be good. Just kidding. No, we'll get, you, we'll get you out of here by lunchtime for sure. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Love this passage of Scripture. Sometimes, I, Pastor Jeff just said, preach something that's on your heart. I said, can I just preach something that's going to get me ready to plant a church? Is that okay if you use an opportunity? This is just for getting me ready, and I, I know you're going to be blessed by it as well. Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 Others, your version might say 70 as well. There's kind of debate on the, the little Greek um, word there. But it, again, 70 or 72 and sent them out ahead two by two. That's the main thing. Jesus is always sending them out in twos. You should always never do ministry alone, that type of thing. Every town in the place where he himself was about to go. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going somewhere. I'm sending you out ahead and I'm putting you on assignment. Go show people what the kingdom of God is like. And I'll never forget my first uh, semester in seminary getting a pop quiz in the New Testament class where we just had to take out a blank piece of paper and write down all the names of these 70 disciples. Can you believe that? You shouldn't believe that because I'm lying. Here's why you should. This is, this is one of these unique places in the Scripture. We don't know who these guys were. It's alluded to that they're actually different than the 12. Who, who are these 70 others? And I like this. I kind of resonate with these no name, this no-name army that is faithful, advancing the gospel. I mean, you've read the Bible. You know that you know, your name gets mentioned. So usually it's a good thing. It could be a bad thing, and you're just kind of marked on the bad side for the rest of eternity in Scripture. But I just kind of like it when you come across a passage where, I mean, the names. You know the Bible will take a whole chapter to list the names. It doesn't mind doing that every now and then, but not here. It's just like, you know what, these 70, it doesn't matter who they are. Just look at how faithful they are as they go out. I kind of want to be on that army, kind of the nameless, faceless, let's just go out because Jesus told us to. Luke 10.2, and then he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is a very unique verse in Scripture. I believe it's the only place where God is given this title. I mean, you see Lord of Lords, you see uh, Lord of All, you see Lord of Heaven and Earth. I think Lord of the Rings is in there somewhere, but I've never, I've never seen 
I mean, think about that. The Lord of the harvest. I don't just blow up your mind for a second. He's in charge. He's in charge of everything. <laughs> When's the last time we genuinely prayed to the Lord of the harvest? This is where I'm living. This is, this is where my mind is as a, as a church planner right now. Again, typically we pray for the harvest, but we pray things like this. God, God, would you just send a big gust of wind to blow the harvest into our barns and sit them in our chairs <laughs> so we can begin to indoctrinate them with what? No, no, no. But he's saying, no, the harvest is great. Here's the problem. The laborers are few. And he doesn't say, pray to the Lord of the laborers. No, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So you start praying, all right, Lord of the harvest, send more laborers. Lord of the harvest, send more laborers. And after a while, you feel this slap on the back of your head like, hey, that's you, go. Oh, I'm praying for me to go. Because the harvest is ready. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're the ones who need to Go. We need to pray that the laborers rise up and go to the harvest, talking to the Lord of the harvest. I have written on my board as they're trying to kick me out of my office up in North Carolina or down in North Carolina. Um, right, right across my desk, I just wrote this big phrase. The future is in the harvest. That's what I need to keep reminding myself. I'm going to plant a church and, and I, I like raising up leaders. I like finding leaders. I like attracting other great Christian leaders to me to help me. And I can get so caught up in that that I forget, no, the future's in, in the harvest. My best drummer is hung over this morning somewhere down in Florida. He don't give a rip about Jesus. The future's in the harvest. My great next children's ministry director she might be in the midst of thinking about divorce right now, not even considering going to church. I mean, all the best leaders that I'm thinking and dreaming about trying to steal from other churches. No, 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 the future is in the harvest. That's, that's where we need to posture ourselves. And that's where, that's where I'm leaning towards. I mean, the, the, and, and who, who better to pray to than the Lord of the harvest who knows how he's going to work all of that out. That's what I want to continue to be thinking out. He says this in verse 3. So far, two verses in, we're marked by prayer and complete dependence on the great shepherd. Here he is. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I'm not one to critique Jesus, but that's a terrible pep talk, okay? <laughs> Are you serious, right? Coach normally fires you up like, we're going to go out there. We're going to kill them. You're the big dogs, you know, and Jesus doesn't even play around. No, you're the lambs, and I'm sending you out amongst wolves. Really? That's the best you got for us? <laughs> now, I can relate with this. I played, as I said, I played football at the University of Hawaii. Um, I mean, we, I played every game with a friggin' rainbow on the side of my helmet, okay? So I understand what it means to go out there and be like, what are we going to do? I remember being in Fresno State. They were a great team that year. And, you know, you got the Bulldogs. Fans are barking at us as we're walking in, like, roo, 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 and they announced the Bulldogs, roo, 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 dog pound, all this stuff. And then here comes the rainbows. <laughs> Might as well call us Care Bears or something. Like, seriously, is this, is this the best we got? We, our fight song was Hawaii Five O. Like, you know, like, Bookum Dano. That's all we had. Like, seriously, that's, that's what we're going on. So I can kind of resonate. Seriously, we were a pretty good team, though. The, the, every game was close, okay? The score was close right up till kickoff. I'm serious. Right up, right up till that opening kickoff. We were tight. Um, I take at least two things away from just this verse here. I, I think it's okay to naturally 
be intimidated when it comes to fully stepping into the mission that God has for you. I just think from that, that verse alone, Jesus is saying, I get it. You put a wolf and a lamb in a room, one of them's in intimidated. And Jesus is saying, I know. So it's okay to be intimidated when you're called to step out in faith. It's not okay to let that keep you from going. That's what courage is, being afraid. And that's what faith is, being afraid and yet stepping into the call anyways. And what does this do? As a lamb in the midst of wolves, it forces you to depend on who? The great shepherd. I mean, you see Psalm 23 weaved throughout all of Jesus' teaching, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lie. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, he's right there. So you got to be completely dependent on him. Scared? Okay. Can't stop going, though. Can't stop going. So you step out on this mission. Verse 4 deals with distractions. Carry no money bag, no, no excuses, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. That doesn't sound very kind. What he's saying is don't just hang out with your buddies. Go to the mission field and get there and do what I've called. Go show and tell the gospel of the kingdom. Matter of fact, you look at the end of verse 9. We're starting chapter 10 here. End of verse 9 is Jesus talking crazy talk. I mean, let the, bed, let the dead bury their own dead. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Uh, you know, people got beds they lay in, but, you know, I, don't, I got nowhere to sleep. You want to follow me? Come on, let's do this. I mean, that's the type of language that precedes this chapter. He's saying, just trust me fully and go. All the provision you need is in the harvest. <laughs> They're going to take care of you. Everything is ahead. Verses 5 and 6. Huge concept here. We didn't talk about show and tell kingdom. Here it is. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. I just want to pause right there. This isn't like peace. That's not what this is talking about. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which undoubtedly you've heard before. It's such a packed word. It can't be summarized in one English word like peace. That's just the starting point for the word shalom. When you say the word shalom, it's literally as if you're looking someone in the eyes and communicated in just that one word, it is my heart's desire that God's will be fully manifested in your life and upon your household today and from this day forward. That's what the one word shalom means. So you walk up to a home and you, you knock on that door, however they did it back then, right? And, 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 and you know, they, they see you through the camera and they're looking out, is that soliciting, what's going on? And, and, and you speak shalom over them. That's what this means. It's a, it's a, here's what Jesus is getting at. What's not being said is screaming. It's this, if you're going to go out on mission with God, you need to be a person of peace yourself. <laughs> like he's not saying that, but it's obvious because you can't give what you don't have. So you can't walk into a, a community, into a neighborhood and give shalom unless you, you have shalom, unless the peace of God is all over your life. Look at the next verse, verse 6. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. This is actually a win-win proposition for us as the messengers. So our job is to go out and show the kingdom, meaning just bless everything that moves. Shalom, 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 shalom. Wherever it sticks, follow the trail. If it doesn't stick, like they flip you off or something, give you the bird, I don't know, then guess what? It comes back to you, you move on. 
How do you know how to do kind of evangelism or, or where should I hang out or who's it really connecting with? Ah, because I want to get into confrontation. Well, why? What are you doing? No, no, no. You, you bless everything that moves and then you hang out where it resonates. Where that, where that peace kind of comes back to you and that person kind of opens up their heart to you or literally their home to you or, or watch where it's about to go in the next two verses and they kind of welcome you, that's where you stay. That was the assignment Jesus gave. Go up to every house, bless every house. If they slam the door in your face, move on. But somebody, you're going to find a person of peace where there's some type of uh, resonation, and it's going to resonate with them. And hey, stay put. Stay put. That's exactly what he wants us to do according to this plan. So we're going out and we're, we're, we're blessing people. We're a person of peace. We're able to give peace. We're able to speak peace. We're able to speak that shalom. And look at what it says in verse 7. And remain in that same house... I love when the gospel talks about eating, and you get it two verses here. I mean, come on, God's on to something here. Eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So we just went from where the wolves were potentially going to eat the lambs to where now the wolves are feeding the lambs. See how God just did that, right? You'll prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And this is, just, this is just how God works. I'll provide for you. We get eat again. Whenever you enter a town, verse 8, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Kind of sounds like my diet. But so eating twice. We're talking about the gospel of the kingdom and eating comes up back to back. I love this. And in this culture, even more so than our culture, they didn't have fast food back then. They didn't like go pick up stuff and eat as quickly as possible. Eating was a sign of fellowship. It was a sign of welcoming you in. This is the ultimate sign that you have blessed them. They're returning that blessing. Come on in, sit down. It's not a half hour dinner. It's like all day and we're hanging out. And when I think about eating, I think about chewing. And when I think about chewing, I remember what my mom said, don't talk with your mouth full. So the great thing about this is you've blessed and you're hanging out because they've invited you in. They've invited you in. You didn't force anything. You haven't asked for anything. They've given everything, and you're eating, and they're eating, and you're chewing, so you're not talking, but you're doing a lot of listening, and you're fellowshipping, and you're hanging out, and you're listening, and you're listening, and all of a sudden you're hearing about how this part of their marriage is broken, and you're hearing about this part of their body is broken, and you're hearing about how this part of their relationship uh, with the, some extended family is broken, and you're hearing about this part of their finances is broken. And what's the first word in verse 9? What's it say? Heal. Woo! Talk about the kingdom of God showing up. Just step right in. How do you know what to heal? You've been hanging out. You've been listening. you got six areas of their life <laughs> that you can just step in with the power of God and, and heal. Now, I'm not trying to make Scripture say something it's not saying. Of course, this is likely, almost certainly referring to a physical healing. Heal the sick in that house that is among them. Step in and let the kingdom of God fully manifest itself right there in their presence. But you and I both know that can mean, that can mean a lot of different things in our day. You can step in and, and heal a part of their relationship. You can share something from your life to relate with them. You can do a lot of things to bring healing, to meet the needs that they may have. Speak some peace over there. Get some Dave Ramsey financial peace in there. Do, do, you can do a lot of things to bring that healing. And then, 
Then we open our mouths and proclaim and tell them, look, the kingdom of God, what you just experienced, that's what it looks like. And more importantly, that's what it feels like when the king has his way in your life. Now you're proclaiming. Let's just be honest. We flip that all the time. We knock on a door and we just talk. I don't know if you've ever done the cold door-to-door evangelism. I'm not opposed to that. It's just not my favorite way of doing things. I think this is much better. When we speak peace, and then we get invited into the fellowship, and we hang out, and we listen, and we hear a need, and we meet a need through the power of God, and then we explain. This really, you know what this is? This is explanation evangelism. <laughs> this is God showing up to meet a need that they've shared, and then you explaining what the heck just happened. That's God. That's how He rules and reigns in my life, and He'd love to do the same in yours. You show people the kingdom, and then you tell them about the king. That's the mission that Jesus sent these 70 no-name disciples on. And I'm not a huge fan of postmodernism, the way of thinking where there is no truth anymore. I don't celebrate that, but I at least acknowledge that that's kind of where our world lives right now. And the days of evidence that demands a verdict are probably gone when it comes to sharing our faith because there really is no, I mean, evidence is relative, right? Truth is, is relative. What I think this fits today isn't necessarily evidence that demands a verdict as much as an experience that demands an explanation. And we're a very experiential culture right now. Even all you cerebral folk up here in the Northeast. I mean, there's still something about this experience. And if we can give people a tangible experience of the kingdom of God, they'll want to know what the heck was that? And who the heck was that? And we get to say, that's the kingdom. Let me tell you about the king that makes all that possible. We're that sign and foretaste of God's kingdom here on planet earth. Next few verses I wish I could skip, but I'm in a church that takes the Bible seriously, so we're going to read these. Here we go. <laughs> but we, My church takes the Bible seriously, I'm just saying. But, but whenever you... Who said that? What'd you say? Oh, oh. This is tough stuff. I, honestly, I don't like to read this. Look at this. But whenever you enter a town and they do not... I love cutting this thing off in chapter, verse 9. We're done. Let's pray. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet and wipe off, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. That's important. You've got to show and tell even if nobody wants to hear it. But you've got to show even if nobody wants to experience it. So we do the tell part, but we don't do the show part all that often. Well, again, we, we typically proclaim, and then maybe if they buy it, okay, now we'll hang out, and now we'll give you peace. God's saying, no, 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 give peace, and then hang out, and then meet needs, and then tell them what just happened. We like to flip that a, a lot. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. Whew. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And these are judgments coming from the lips of Jesus. For if, you're, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects 
him who sent me. Not the easiest stuff to read. Here's how this works, though. The kingdom of God is available. The kingdom of God is accessible to everyone. But this isn't universal. People will reject this message. This isn't the gospel according to Oprah, okay? I mean, this thing, people will stiff arm Jesus as the king of their lives. But here's how we should read this. I hope you don't read passages like this and get all fired up. Yeah, judgment. I mean, I hope there's something in your heart that's, that, that resonates with what our assignment is as the church. If they're going to reject the gospel, may it be that they reject a holistic, fully-orbed presentation of the gospel, a show-and-tell gospel where the kingdom is manifesting in our cities and Jesus is being proclaimed. And if you're going to reject that, I get it. Okay. But I pray that people aren't just rejecting some all talk and no walk gospel. It's not our job to repeat the judgments that came out from Jesus' lips. It's our job to read them and learn, how can he say that? Capernaum? Are you kidding me? You know what happened in Capernaum? They're ripping roofs off houses, lowering paraplegics down, and Jesus is healing them. And what Jesus is basically saying is, there were people in that room that saw that and said, no King Jesus for me. Okay, then the judgment flows. <laughs> May that be the truth for our cities where people are truly experiencing the tangible kingdom of God. And I pray they all repent. But if they don't, that's where that judgment flows. So it's our job not to worry about who Jesus is going to judge. It's our job to show and tell the kingdom. As, as, as powerfully as we know how, begging God for His kingdom to show up in our lives and ultimately through our lives. And Jesus tells them, hey, if they reject that gospel, they're rejecting me. And they're rejecting the one who sent me. Verse 17, then the 72 return with joy. They're fired up. They've never seen fruit like this before. Listen to what they say. Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Now, you only use the word even in a sentence when you're surprised by a result. Because if you look back to the way Jesus equipped them, he's done it before in other passages. When he sent out the 12, he'd said, hey, you've got to have authority over demons. He didn't say anything, as long as we can tell that's recorded. He didn't say anything about demons. So they go out and they bless, and there's healings, and there kind of stuff's happening, the kingdom of God's coming, and even, it's an add-on, even the demons. You're surprised by an even, Right? And Pete McCarthy picked me up this morning. It's like, wow, he's on time. He's dressed nice. And he even cleaned out his car a little bit. You know, you're like, wow, this is another level. Thank you, Pete. Or at least the front seat that I sat in, you know, pushed. You use even when you're like, this goes above and beyond my expectations. And I believe when the church steps into its call to show and tell the gospel, we just start seeing evens all over the place. Are you kidding me? Even my neighbor who intentionally annoys me with the leaf blower, all of a sudden started asking questions about the Bible because he sees me reading it all. I mean, and even my coworker, who I know doesn't like me, who I hear gossip about me, all of a sudden, even my coworker started asking me if I could pray for them about some things going on in their life. Even my, even my son, who I haven't heard from for three years, started, started calling back and and then just sharing some things about what's going on in his life and asking if I can pray. I mean, this, this is where when we step into all God has for us, evens, 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 and popping up all over the place. 
And look at verse 18. I don't even know how to unpack this. Look at this. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think it means that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, scholars debate about exactly what that means. Here's what, at the, here's what we can safely conclude. The, the, the toe-to-toe battle between Satan and Jesus that started in the wilderness, and it's going to end on the cross with the final exclamation point, and that's coming a few chapters from now. We're only in Luke 10. That, that right now the accuser of the brethren, as Jesus isn't even going out himself, he's sending out 70 unnamed disciples, the accuser's starting to, to waver a little bit. That's what happens when the church takes its role seriously. When we advance the kingdom of God, when we advance the kingdom of light, darkness trembles. That's the authority Jesus is saying. I, I need you to know you're walking in that. And he's going to talk a little bit more about authority here in the next couple verses. In verse 19, And I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, talk about authority. That's great. So he's saying, guys, yes, yeah, soak it in, soak it in, but, but wait, there's something even better. Look at this. Nevertheless, Jesus is the greatest teacher on the planet. Don't miss this. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but you want to rejoice about something, rejoice. But rejoice that your names are in heaven. We've got 70 or 72 unnamed disciples. It doesn't matter who their names are. It matters where their names are written. And he's telling, he's trying to educate them right now in this very vulnerable moment. They're excited. Let me give you some wisdom, guys. Don't just rejoice that, that you have authority over evil. The greatest thing to rejoice for is that I have authority over your life. <laughs> That, that, that not just that evil spirits are subject to you, that you're now loyally subject to me. Don't just rejoice in the power of the message. Get fired up about the privilege of being a messenger. That's who we're called to be. That, that's what matters most. I get excited when God does some credible things through my ministry or my church and the dreams and the vision. But I, I think we should all get a little mostly excited that we got chosen for this thing in the first place. Wow. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Because even in, even in my arrogance and egotisticalness every now and then as a lead pastor, I realize I don't, I don't deserve any of this stuff. <laughs> or may I be reminded that, that all of us don't deserve anything of the grace that God has poured out on our lives. So we get to show and we get to tell, but most importantly, we, we get to be. We get to be part of God's plan to change the world. That's where our identity truly resides. love talking about my dad. He passed away almost 13 years ago. Um, Jeff kind of joked a little bit about being a, from a famous family. He, he, played, he played NFL football for 13 years for the Baltimore Colts. That's like way back, right? All before I was born, and then he coached a number of years with some different NFL season, different NFL teams. and He wasn't always coaching NFL, kind of like... The rule of NFL coaching is you're one of two things. You're either hired or fired or retired, I guess, would be the third. So we were in a season in Missouri, where I referenced that, where uh, he had been fired. And he was a really good coach, and that's about all he was really good at. So he couldn't, get, he couldn't land. He tried the life insurance thing. A lot of people think they can do that. That's hard stuff. And he tried doing all that, little odd jobs here and there, very likable um, very charismatic personality, but he just couldn't. We, we were going from being a part of the Oakland Raiders coaching staff back in the 70s, John Madden, to not having a job in the NFL, at least, for 
about four or five years. So he was just doing everything he could to make end meet, ends meet. Um, I was like second or third grade, and I remember he had a job for parks and recreation, cutting grass, like tarring tennis courts, scraping bubble gum off the... I mean, that, that's what he was doing, just to make ends meet for a while. And during that job and during that season, one of his assignments is to kind of close down the park, one of the local parks near our neighborhood. And he just had to make sure that everybody knew, hey, it's time to leave and then shut the gate. And he was working one day, just working hard towards the end of the shift, kind of cutting the grass. And he noticed somebody sitting up on a bench, kind of the far distant corner. He's like, well, eventually, okay, I'll make my rounds over there. I got to let him know that he needs to leave. And as he walks up to that guy, my dad was a pretty big dude, played linebacker, right? So he walks up to this guy and he can instantly see something's wrong. He gets a little bit closer and he sees the guy's got a knife. And then that guy recognizes that my dad's coming closer and he just yells from a distance, don't do it. Don't come any closer. Today's the last day of my life. I'm going to kill myself today. My dad takes a couple more steps forward, not really afraid for him, but obviously concerned about what this guy was going to do. And then he says something that I don't recommend anyone ever say when you're dealing with this situation. But for some reason, peace of God came upon my dad and he felt like he could get away with saying this. He shouted back at the guy, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Because if you do, I'm the last guy here. I got to clean it up. <laughs> Woo, you're thinking, you're rolling the dice on that one, pop. It worked. Guy starts laughing. Guy starts laughing. Before the guy can realize it, my dad's on the bench sitting next to him thinking, what is this dude all about? <laughs> Still holding the knife, sitting there, bringing peace to an incredibly hostile situation. Ask the guy, tell me about your day. Finds out, guy, you know, wife's going to leave him. Kids hate him. Just lost a job. I mean, the whole everything. Listens, 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 listens. Eventually, steps in, prays for the guy. Got permission to, may I pray for you? Prays for him. Kingdom of God comes in a fuller way, leads the guy to Christ. I'll never forget this. That next Sunday, this guy's at church with my family. Park bench about to take his life. Hanging out at church the next week. Why? Show and tell. Show and tell. Show people the kingdom. Tell them about the king. That, that's our assignment. No plan B. We're the ones called to do this on our watch on planet earth. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we need you. And we trust you. And part of trusting you with our lives is trusting your plan for our lives. And I know it's going to look different based on personalities and even spiritual giftings and, and temperaments. And you're going, to, you're going to call all of us to go about this a little differently, but you're going to call all of us to go. And we've all got to go, and we're being sent, even as you said. We're not trying to hype this up. We're being sent as lambs amongst wolves. And the great thing about that is if we get anything done, it has to be because of the shepherd. <laughs> it can't have anything to do with how cool we are or how smart we are or how ferocious we are. No, God, we're, we're the lambs completely leaning in to the shepherd himself. Jesus, be our king. Manifest your rule and reign in our lives so that we can show the world what that looks like through our lives. We need you more today than ever, God. 
We want to trust you. May all of us take one step deeper into trust with you. I pray your blessing on the transit. Thank you for their leadership. Thank you for the the ways you're going to continue to multiply the disciples, making disciples right here and throughout this region, God. Just do your work. Do your mighty work in this place, God. And every church that proclaims the name of Jesus and takes your word seriously, Lord, just raise the water level here in Alexandria area and beyond so that people would find and know and trust you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.